turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Well, joining us today on the program is the lead pastor of Hope Chapel of Santa Rosa. Pleased to have join us microphone side, Pastor Colby Engstrom. Pastor Engstrom, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thanks, Greg. It's great to be with you today. And I guess I say, in a sense, sort of kind of welcome back to uh, California. Um, Although I want to be clear for listeners, you're not brand new to the state nor brand new to Santa Rosa. You've been up in Santa Rosa pastoring there at Hope Chapel for a couple of years now. But this kind of brought you full circle from your roots a bit further south of us in one of my most favorite parts of the state, down towards San Luis Obispo. When you get into that neck of the woods and down towards Santa Barbara, wow, it's really a phenomenal part. Part of the state, and that, of course, was your sure. original home. And as I mentioned, yep. though, you've you've come back, so that has to suggest uh-huh. to our listeners that there were some stops along the way. Walk us yep. through a bit of your trajectory, and and sure. maybe even the calling that the Lord put on your life yeah. when you were still back in San Luis Obispo. When I was in college, I actually thought I was going to be a lawyer, which made my which made my uh, very secular father very very proud of me because it would have meant something lucrative and exciting for me and for our family. And uh, I felt the call of God on my life at a Promise Keepers Conference uh, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year and radically went all in with Jesus, felt a call to full-time ministry and uh, changed my major from pre-law to communication, finished my communication degree, got into ministry, um, started helping out at a high level and was a youth pastor for many years. And I was a youth pastor in uh, Utah, New Mexico, um, Texas, and, um, and of course, in, in California at a couple of places, and um, really loved the Central Coast, uh, thought that we were going to live and die there, and um, helped uh, served at one church for, for almost seven years, helped start another church that was there on the Central Coast, and then the recession hit, and that's what led to a little bit of moving around. Um, but uh, most recently, I was on staff at a church in North Texas before feeling like the Lord was kind of moving my heart to move into uh, being a lead pastor. And so it was connected with a, um, a community of churches called Foursquare that is um, centered out of, out of Southern California and has been for, for a little over 100 years. And um, we ended up here in Sonoma County um, as part of a succession plan to take over from just a really caring, faithful lead pastor, Dan Boyd, who had been here for 30 plus years in Santa Rosa really excited about being able to be here and a lot more familiar than North Texas for a California boy, uh, just in the weather and the people and the, and the atmosphere and the sports and the outdoors and just really, really love being in the Bay Area, love being in Sonoma County, just really feel like this is where the Lord has us and excited to see how the compassion of Jesus Christ can, can be winsome and awesome and authentic and can show people that God still is 
still loves and is still involved in our lives. Amen. Well, certainly quite familiar with the ministry and the impact of uh, Foursquare. Of course, Jack Hayford had a program here on uh, our station for many, many years. He, a native boy from Oakland, and I think I know... Your boss or one of your bosses, Tim Russell, real well, too. Hey, yeah, yeah. Tim Russell's so a good guy. Just a, just a, di- it's a shout-out in case he's listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, hey, hey, Pastor Tim, we love you. Great guy. And uh, so yes, it yeah. sounds like you kind of exchanged, in a sense, a passion for the law for helping people to understand the penalty of breaking God's law and more fully understanding the grace now under which we live, recognizing the fact that our ability at law-keeping going back a couple of thousand more years hasn't been very good. I just knew I wanted to try to use gifts to try to help people, and I'm just glad that I'm I'm on mission to do it with the gospel rather than just with money and paperwork. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Far more rewarding. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, and, definitely. You know, an attorney can do a great job at the end of the day absolutely. and say, gosh, we won the case. We made a difference. We got a settlement, sure. whatever the situation yeah. might be. But seldom does they do they get to come and say, you know, what I did today yeah. changed a life, healed a marriage, restored a yeah. family, delivered somebody from an addiction mm-hmm. to a substance abuse, whatever the case True might story. be. There is so much to be said for the impact of the gospel mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. And, you know, of course, Amen. that is a, a universal message, not only down through the ages, but across mm-hmm. nations and cultures, even in a place like California, and even with some sure. of the challenges that are presented here. You know, we right. were talking a bit, for the benefit of listeners, we were talking a bit uh, before we came on the air today about some mm-hmm. of the uniqueness of the area yeah. of which not only you were born and raised, but then are now currently ministering between right. San Luis Obispo and now Santa Rosa. That it's it's California, but it's kind of California light. Folks are sometimes a bit more open, a little bit more friendly, maybe not quite as uh, politically, how should we say, um, over the top as as maybe somebody from the immediate Bay Area or Los Angeles might be. But there are still similar challenges, aren't there? I 100% agree with that. You know, there there's a lot of people here. I, I think the last few years, especially, have hardened some of the political views both for followers of Jesus and people who, who don't claim faith. Um, sadly enough, I think that maybe as followers of Jesus, our politics have become a little more famous than our Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, I really want to see what we can do about growing, being the kind of neighbor that shows the compassion of Christ more than our politics. And I see that as being one of the big challenges moving forward. Is it problematic when, for example, you can sit down in a casual dinner conversation with just about anybody? I'm talking about an individual that would not identify as a believer. And if the subject of your faith comes up, they will immediately say, oh, I know what you Christians are all about. And they will go down a laundry list of all of the things we are against. Sure. And they'll probably be 95% bang on. I wonder, though, if it's problematic in the sense that a lot of people today, because of the mm-hmm. geopolitical energy that is yeah. currently sort of, you know, undulating in every aspect of American life today, sure. that people know more about, from a Christian perspective, what we're against than what, yeah. what we're for. Is that a problem? Yeah. I think you hit it right on the head, Craig. I think it's the problem. I, I think that rather than than being famous for the grace, forgiveness, and compassion of Jesus Christ, we've become famous for the political movements that we think we should be about because of those things. And I, I, I think that for the gospel to move forward in the Bay Area and in Sonoma County, I think we've got to figure that out and, and bridge the gap 
between theology and practicum, and that comes with authenticity and compassion. You know, it's interesting because if you look at a lot of these subjects, and, and certainly down through the years, I have repeatedly reminded my audience that we're, we're involved in politics yeah. because it's a part of the system of self-governance that we sure. have, that while perhaps not necessarily unique to America, we're certainly kind of the harbinger of that. Mm-hmm. Its roots largely are here. And so it's a matter of governing ourselves. Many of these issues that we discuss in the political realm really find their, their core, their root, their genesis in morality, but if we can't articulate who the disseminator of that morality is, what the foundation yeah. of our morality is, right. and do it in a, such a way that we, we recognize the sin nature of mankind and our shortcomings, but at the same token are always constantly emphasizing at the very center of that message is the good news of Jesus Christ and his substitutionary work on the cross, and that yep. in, through, in, in him and through him we might be reconciled to the Father, forgiven, right healed, mm-hmm. restored, and have the chains right. of sin that bind us broken. Yeah. And I think sometimes that mm-hmm. that message kind of gets lost in the dialogue, doesn't it? No, it really does. And and the and the sad thing is is so many is emotions are running so high right now. And whether we like it or not, emotions kind of reign supreme in how a lot of people perceive their reality. And so one of the things we say at Hope Chapel is, you know, you're not just welcomed here, you're wanted here. Mm-hmm. Because we want people to understand that, you know, we're We've, we're setting other things aside and just saying, you know, you're, you're wanted here because God wants relationship with you, because you matter. You have a human soul and your soul matters. Your life matters. And um, it's the value placed on your soul is the blood of a king. I mean, how higher price could you put on someone's life than the blood of our King Jesus Christ? And so often our, our words can get in the way because people will will hear something different. And so if we can keep our eye on the ball and all come under the shadow of the cross rather than the different flags that we're choosing to identify with, I'll be very curious to see what can happen in our part of the world because it's really under that kind of unity that God does great things. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Folks eavesdropping on our conversation will probably resonate with this observation that if you, you, you meet somebody casually on the street or you're introduced to them at a gathering, maybe a dinner, something of that sort, uh, people will generally, when asked about you, will begin mm-hmm. to identify in terms of the job that we do. So what do you do? Right. Well, I'm a radio guy. I'm a pastor. Yeah. We, we, talk sure. about, we talk in terms of our identification and even sometimes our sense of worth based on our education, the job title we have, things of that sort. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that, I think it falls short of the fact that we will oftentimes identify, even in the context of our conversation, first as of this political persuasion or another political persuasion or or what we do, as opposed to who we are in relationship to he who have saved us. And I think that oftentimes is very problematic. You know, Scripture reminds us that, that that they will know us by our love. Yeah. And yet, sadly, oftentimes, they know us first and foremost by our rhetoric, by our politics, yeah. by our yeah. anger. And I uh-huh. think that really not only does the gospel an injustice, but also is a major failing of the church today. Would you agree? 
Yeah, it is. And, and on our watch, it's going to be on us to get to tackle this problem together. And that's how I see it. You know, it's it to me, it's a fun and exciting challenge to prove people wrong. Think about how in, in how how completely memorable it is when we get to surprise someone. A surprise is always memorable. And if we can surprise people with the goodness of God and the compassion of Jesus Christ, that's going to be memorable and meaningful for a lot of people. And that's been my prayer over and over again. So talk to us a bit about what God is doing specifically in Hope Chapel. You know, we, we oh, mentioned at yeah. the get-go that yeah. there is a, it, it's, it's a little different than the immediate Bay Area in terms right. of what you might experience in a place like San Jose yeah. or Berkeley. Uh, it, right. it, it feels a little bit more rural because it is. Uh-huh. Um, sure. and, and yet you've got, a, you've got a strong group of believers there. And uh, I just want to kind of get a sense for listeners in terms of, of the dynamic of what God is doing at Hope Chapel Santa Rosa today. Sure. Boy, that's a great question. You know, um, since, I, since I came in a couple of years ago, one of the things I've seen happen is I, just, I see a growing energy of excitement and positivity I, I think, again, I think because of the lockdown of the pandemic, the, the nature of the fires, there was a resiliency that took a lot of hits um, and being able to kind of pump some new energy and some excitement and some positivity, I think, has gone over real well. We've seen we've seen a, seen some newer families coming in. We've seen some what, what I call mature adults, which is adults that are 65 plus. We've seen more mature adults that had kind of gone to screen only because they were they had health concerns they're starting to come back a lot more family um, people that have been away from church for a long time that that now see the value of community and connection are coming back we're seeing people um, coming to faith in the Lord people that have never had a faith um, are coming to a faith in fact one of my favorite stories is uh, you know over the course of the last six months we've baptized three people that are in the, that are fifties plus that have never said yes to Jesus before. And they've, 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 they've broken the curve. Like a lot of us have heard the metric about how almost everybody that comes to saving faith in Jesus does so before their 20th birthday. And I mean, they're, they're breaking that curve. And then we have an outstanding youth ministry where we have a, we have a young youth director who's barely 20, but boy, he wears his age so well and he's just killing it. He's just doing such a great job. We have a growing youth ministry for our little church. We just hired a new worship worship director, and he's doing a great job. And uh, we have a Halloween outreach that we're looking forward to tonight, where we're we're going to strategic houses and neighborhoods to have a tent where people can get a one minute blessing, where instead of going to a to a palm reader or a few, for, fortune teller, they can just come and have someone just say a brief prayer of blessing over them and encouragement over them. And uh, we're going to have hot dogs and candy and games and fun, and we're giving out full-size candy bars at these, Craig, not the little dinky ones. Oh, good. <laughs> and, um, and it's just going to be outstanding. We have, a, we have a man I've partnered with in ministry in, in Columbia um, and locally named Paul Rapley. He's going to come and lead us in a time of prayer and seeking God for healing, for those that want to see healing happen in their lives. And um, he's coming this week, and golly, we just, we want to seek God to move in very real, authentic, transformative ways that we haven't seen before. And it's multi-generational and multi-ethnic, and it's just really exciting. You are, you are reclaiming the land for the sake of the gospel. I love it. Yes, sir. We're sure trying. And you know, that sense too of community, let's spend a moment talking about that because, you know, we did, and you know, you guys up north had a double whammy, as you pointed out, because I think folks forget that, you know, almost coinciding with the COVID hit that we, we all experienced three years ago. Uh 
was sure. the fires up in Northern California, Santa yep. Rosa region, Tubbs fire, all of that, yep. that, that yep. literally wiped out people's livelihoods, their yep. homes, everything. Yep. And, you right. know, that kind of loss can be so devastating to come back from, particularly when you look around you and it's just block after block after block of just complete bare destruction. And so to, to come back from an experience like that and be able to hold together that sense of cohesive community and recognizing that at the end of the day, we all need one another. And as right. convenient as it was for a lot of us to say, hey, you know what? I don't have to get dressed in the morning. I can go to church just by logging into the computer. I can sit there in my fuzzy bunny slippers if I so choose and participate in church. But it's not the same as right. gathering together in that that that. Iron sharpening iron kind of experience, is it? No, not at all. And that's why, I mean, I'm thankful for the ministry of your radio station and, and the online presence of so many churches because I believe it's it's wonderfully supplemental to the disciple life, but church is people. And as soon as we start to think that church is an experience or an event rather than people, we're going to start losing that element that really is, is more than even just convenient or comforting. You know, it's a reminder that our God is real, you know, that, that, that when we touch one another, when we, when we speak directly to one another, when we interact with one another in person, there's a depth that, that cannot be replaced by technology. And, you know, that's impor just, so yeah. important that you say that. I just want to underscore yeah. that and put that, you know, bold, italicized and, and yeah. you know, increase the font size as well. That mm -hmm. the technology, whether it's live streaming Sunday morning or tuning into uh -huh. a Christian radio station like this, sure. folks, yeah. and I, I want to say it, you're, you, you can say, Craig Roberts, I heard you say it myself, <laughs> that this is supplemental. It's never substitutional. That yeah. at the end of the day, when God takes a city unto himself, he does it through the local body of believers. He does it through right. the local church. He doesn't do it through the internet. He doesn't do it through your Christian favorite Christian radio station. Those can be wonderful supplemental tools, yeah. never substitutionary. And when we start yeah, to head into that territory and we think, gee, this is really convenient. I don't have to go to church anymore. I don't have to deal with people anymore. Uh-uh. Right. You're, now you're heading into very dangerous territory here when you start to regard all of this wonderful technology as substitutionary as opposed to simply being supplemental, which is the category where it belongs. Yeah, and that's what that's what we want to continue. We want to continue to be the church, not just go to church. You know, that's what we're trying to figure out. So we have churches in Fiji that we help equip and support, minister with and to. We have we have uh, the outreach in the city uh, with my friend Pastor Noah that we're, we're part of, and we're part of the Redwood Gospel organization right here in Santa Rosa with trying to help them reach our city and equip our city and help those that are that need have felt needs that need to be met and then we're in turn trying to do the same thing with with caring for a local elementary school and then equipping our people to be a light in their community because like you said earlier Craig you know just because things appear dark doesn't mean that it's overwhelming. It just means it's a greater opportunity for the light to stand out just a little bit more. Amen. Time to turn on more of the light, no doubt about it. Exactly. Hope Chapel of Santa Rosa meets at 5680 Sonoma Highway in Santa Rosa, and you can get information on the web at hopechapelsantarosa.org. That's Hope chapelsantarosa.org. You meet in a barn, is that right? Yes, <laughs> that's right, man. Yeah, we're in a, we're in a yellow barn right off the Sonoma Highway. We have a big, beautiful 300-year-old oak tree in the middle of our campus. Um, I, I, I would go as far as to wager it is one of the warmest 
groups of people I've ever been around in my entire life. And the, the energy and excitement and joy you will experience there. And, and let's be, be clear for listeners. They will not be required to sit on bales of hay. They no. won't share a pew with a cow. We have real chairs and everything. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. It's a barn-style building, and, and it, it's a great little landmark there. So yeah. if, if you're in the neighborhood, you're not going to get lost. Look for the big yellow no. barn. Again, at 5680 Sonoma Highway in Santa Rosa. Details on the web at hopechapelsantarosa.org. Right. Pastor Coley, what are your service times? Service times right now are 9 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings. We have a great youth service on Thursday evenings, and then we do we have pretty regular Bible studies that happen on Tuesdays. Um, but Sunday mornings, we'd love to have you join us online or in person, 9 and 10.30. You know, you can sample it online, but you know what? Get dressed and be there in person. I think you'll be thrilled with the experience, and you've gotten a little bit of a taste of the heartbeat for ministry by Pastor Ingstrom. So uh, get a chance to go and meet him in person and uh, experience the worship and fellowship together. Hope Chapel (laughs) Santa Rosa, again, meeting at 5680 Sonoma Highway in Santa Rosa. Details on the web at hopechapelsantarosa.org. That's hopechapelsantarosa.org. And our thanks to Pastor Colby, Pastor Colby Ingstrom, for being with us today. Pastor Colby, thanks so much for the time. Been a delight. Honor to be here. Love your ministry. Thank you so much for helping encourage and reach people all over the Bay Area. And excited to be here with you today. If you are under 40 years old in this room, you were almost never born. And there's a lot of people that have no idea that it ever happened. On September 26th, 1983... Stanislav Petrov was in, in an office where he had all these computers in front of him in the, in the then Soviet Union. And on one of the computers, it started to blink, launch. In his job, his one job is to monitor all these systems to see if the United States was launching any of their nuclear arsenal at the Soviet Union during the height of the Cold War conflict. NATO, which was the organization of all the countries that aligned themselves with the United States at that time in history, were doing maneuvers and trainings, and tensions were high with the Soviet Union and her allies. And when the blinking light of launch came up on the screen, Stanislav Petrov had one job, to fly it up the chain of command, knowing that the response would always be the same. Immediate and unquestioned retaliation, because the longer you waited, the more chance you took of losing your nuclear arsenal, because the missiles would come too quickly and take out your nuclear arsenal. That's what he was supposed to do. But in the moment, he thought to do two things different. One was to listen to his instincts. Two was to listen to the radar technicians and see what they were seeing. Then the blinking red light went from launch to missile strike. Not just one missile, two, three, more. But this is what Stanislav said. I had all the data to suggest there was an oncoming missile attack. If I had sent my report up the chain of command, nobody would have said a word against it. The siren howled, but I just sat there for a few seconds, staring at the big backlit red screen with the word launch on it. A minute later, the siren went off again. The second missile was launched. Then the third, the fourth, the fifth. Computers changed their alerts from launch to missile strike. 
he passed on to his, to his technicians, it's a malfunction. We're going to log it that way. That's all it was was a malfunction. He knew deep down this wasn't the move. See, when the time comes, you and I have to ask ourselves, what's your move? Everyone's going to have that moment. When your moment comes, you have to make a move. And your move is going to be a lot of things. Hopefully, you'll never have to hold the freedom and life of the free world in your hands in a moment. But you might hold the freedom of your free world in your hands and have to figure out what to do in your moment. So we're going to read about Joshua today. Joshua came after Moses. If you missed Pastor Dan's message last week, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. I was at men's camp last week, had a great time with a small group of dudes. It was wonderful. It was great. Um, but made sure that I tuned in. And, and Pastor Dan gave a great message about what we learned from Moses, about how he was a man who yielded, who surrendered to God to do his will and got to see his best. Um, and we're going to talk about the guy who comes after Moses in our story, who is Joshua. As a quick catch-up story, the reason that the Old Testament is about the Jewish people is because the Jewish people started out from one people, and that was Abram, who was renamed Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob got renamed Israel, and that is how we have the country of Israel today. Being Jewish is a race, it is a religion, and it is a country. And it can be one or two or all three. And so we have the very beginnings of this. The reason that we care about this is because the bloodline of Jesus Christ, the Savior of all humanity, came from the Jewish vein. Therefore, we study the roots of our story of us. Joshua comes next in the story. And Joshua was a mover. Joshua came next after Moses to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Joshua was one of only two guys who got to cross the Red Sea on dry ground and got to cross the Jordan on dry ground going into the promised land. The only other guy, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. The two spies that gave the good report listening to God's voice more than anyone else's. Joshua's name means Jehovah is salvation. Joshua shares the same name as Jesus. Jesus is the name Joshua in Greek. Isn't that interesting? Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim, an influential tribe known for its leaders. If you read the book of Judges, the tribe of Ephraim rises to the top. There's lots of leaders that are coming from there. Joshua led his people in battle 13 times to take the land that God had promised them. And he had a pretty good win-loss for a coach, 12-1. and It's a pretty good win-loss column. And the only L he took wasn't even his fault. One guy disobeyed God's edict, and it brought the whole company down. But then when they went back out again, they got the dub. 12-1. and Now, as we look at someone like this, and he was under hard circumstances and had to learn a lot of new things. We're living in a world right now, we have a lot of new things. We've got to figure out what our move is. You look at everything that's going on right now. We have the shooting in Maine that happened this week. We have the war that's going on, Gaza Strip, war in Ukraine, earthquakes, famines, fires, disasters. It's a lot. And then on top of all that, the Niners can't win two games in a row. For some of you, that last one might have gotten more of your attention. For some of the rest of us, it's not a blip on the radar. But it's weird the things that matter in the moments, isn't it? 
So I was thinking about that. I've been getting questions lately. Well, Pastor Colby, how do I see this? There's revelation and there's this. It's a good question. It's a good question. Um, so here's kind of what I felt like the Lord showed me in my quiet time last month as I was actually going through Revelation in the deep dive in my own personal study. Um, toward the end of the book of Revelation, the focus of the church is that she is supposed to be like a bride getting ready for her wedding day. That she is waiting for Jesus, the bridegroom, to come in and ready for this beautiful moment for a new life to begin on earth. Some of you have read the scriptures before. You immediately know what I'm talking about. Some of you, this might be new. Somebody says revelation to you. You're thinking of some, all the different disasters that happen because they stand out more in our mind's eye. Don't miss the bride part. Because here's the thing. Um, you can control what only you can control. I can control what only I can control. So as a tension as a pastor, what I have is I have three tensions that I'm constantly trying to figure out how to manage. Three different sections of ownership that people have. So this is my prayer life. Lord, give me the wisdom to do what only I can do. Because I can only control what I can do. Then I pray for you. That the Lord would stir your hearts and that you would walk in courage to do what only you can do. Because there's certain things only you can do. I can't do them for you. I can't make you do a lot of things. How many of you learned the hard way? You can't make a human do very many things. Have you learned that the hard way yet? Oh, boy, there should have been more hands up. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> the th- the, and, then there's, and then there's, this is the big one. This is the big X factor. Then I pray that God would do what only God can do. And that's a lot of the tension of my life, is trying to figure out the difference between those three things and praying for the right response at the right time. Because, see, as a Christian, one of the problems is that we sometimes fight the wrong fight with the wrong words the wrong way. And in the culture we live in now, the more often we do that, the more we hurt people seeing Jesus clearly. It is so important that we fight the right fight, the right way, with the right words and the right tools. When we don't, we cause damage. And so that is a big prayer. Back to the bride. So the end of Revelation, we see the image of the bride as the church getting ready for her wedding to her bridegroom. Think about all the preparation that has to happen for a bride. The concentrated effort, the energy, the intentionality, the purity. When Adriana was talking about revival earlier, you know what revival means? It means to wake up and come out of something differently. That's what it means. So as we look at everything going on in the news, don't allow yourself to get stressed out over the details. You can't change any of it anyway. You know what you can do? You can be part of helping the church get ready for the wedding. You can be part of what Pastor Dan talked about a moment ago about us bringing someone else with. Because the church needs to beautify. Can you let that, that word weigh for a minute? The church needs to beautify. You know how she gets more beautiful? When you and I take steps of faith into who he's designed us to be and we bring other people with. That's how she gets more beautiful. You want to know how to pray? You want to know how to prepare during these uncertain times? Let's get ready for the wedding. Amen? Now back to Joshua. Joshua took over after Moses. Joshua was the first leader that would come out of the, gener- the last generation of people who were born as slaves to lead a new generation of people who were not. They were born as wandering homeless people in the desert who got handouts every morning for food. 
just to put that in perspective, because God provided everything. So Joshua was a mover, and we're going to look at how he was a mover, what made him a mover, and what we can learn from him. Number one, Joshua moved when he had to fight, even if it seemed impossible. In Exodus chapter chapter 17, this is the first time we ever see Joshua even mentioned. And Joshua is one of the lead warriors in this fight with Moses. And it's a crazy fight. Now, you've got to remember, these guys don't know how to fight. They've been slaves. Usually when you are in a position of power and you have a people group that you want to subjugate and keep in slavery, you do not think it's a good idea to teach them to fight. Why? Because they will fight who? You. That's right. So Joshua is having to figure out how to lead a bat- an army into battle that only knows one end of the sword. The one that's been pointed and threatened to them. And so Joshua has to depend on God. He has to listen to his leader, Moses. And so Moses instructs him how to fight and where to fight. And then at the end of the fight, they see victory because of the miraculous move of God. And this is what we read at the end of the passage in verse 14. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to who? To Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. God had vision for Joshua decades before Joshua knew to have vision for himself. Number two, Joshua moved with his mentor to learn what he had to learn. It's so important to have a mentor. And by the way, your mentor doesn't have to be somebody who's a bunch older than you. It just has to be somebody who's a little bit further down the field than you are in something you want to get further down the field in. Does that make sense? So, so I heard it said recently that you are the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. So if you're a daycare worker, I don't know how to process that with you. <laughs> If you're a prison guard, I really don't know how to process that with you. And if you work alone in a cubicle, I'm just sorry. No, but in all seriousness, what it is is I think, I think, I think what it means is the people we let influence us most influence us most, right? So Joshua listened to Moses. This is what we learn about Joshua in Exodus 24:13. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Come up." To me on the mountain, stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone which I have inscribed. This is them getting the Ten Commandments. This is a big deal. This is big stuff. Inscribe the instructions and commands so you can teach the people. This is where the law is coming from. This is where God is speaking directly to Moses. But look at verse, verse 13. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Joshua went with his mentor, even if it meant going and doing hard things. Because the people who care about us and want to pour into us are worth not only listening to, but letting them lead us. Number four, he moved into unknown land in faith. Numbers 13 is a classic story. Some of you have heard it, some of you may not have. This is how how it breaks down. God has promised to take Israel and turn this family of faith that's blossomed into millions of people that are freed slaves, wandering without an actual country to call home. And they are about to embark into the area that they're supposed to be being given. So what Moses does as a good leader is he sends out spies to break down the load and make it easy. He says, I need one guy from each tribe. And then he handpicks who they are. Of course, from the tribe of Ephraim, who does he pick? He picks Joshua because he trusts him. He's his boy. So he sends the 12 in. They look at things. They're supposed to spy it out, see what the people are like and bring home souvenirs 
Because he wants to encourage the people so that they can see the fruit and the, and the wealth of the land, knowing that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. So this is what they bring back in verse 23. When they came to the valley of Ashkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes. How big is a single cluster of grapes? How big is that? Like, like maybe here-ish? About here? Can we agree on that? Maybe, this, maybe the size of like, a, like, like about, about like right here, right? Like mini basketball-ish? And then drooping just a little, right? The picture-perfect picture. They took two of them to carry a pole to put the cluster on because it was so heavy. Y'all, that's a lot of smuckers going on on that cluster of grapes. That's a lot of preserves. That's a lot of grape juice. That's a lot of grapes. Do you have any idea the size of those grapes? Those are big grapes. So they come back with mixed messages. They got the grapes. Grapes are good. Grapes are big. But 10 of the 12 guys don't think they can do it. In fact, they're saying we can't do it. But see, this is what makes Joshua different and makes him a mover. What made him a mover? Number one, Joshua was moved by God's vision instead of settling for what was easy to see. Because this is what happens next. The people gripe and complain and say, we can't do this. Joshua and Caleb have a different narrative. We see Moses falls face on the ground in repentance and humility and complete dependence on God. Joshua and Caleb have been there. They step forward. They believe who they are, they believe whose they are, and they believe who God says he is. Those three facts are what determine what is most important for them moving forward. You are the same way. You're going to have so many things happen in your life, so many things happen to you, so many things happen around you, things that people are going to say to make you feel a certain way. You're going to have to come back to three truths. Who you are, whose you are, and who God says he is. And you're going to have to figure out how you process that in these tough moments. That's what's going to determine the difference in what comes next. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, which easy pastor joke is the fact that he had no parents. Wow, y'all were late on that one. Lower hanging fruit is that his mom only wore black and white and covered her hair at all times. Think about that one for a minute. Wow, y'all are slow today. It's like, no, Pastor Colby, your jokes are bad today. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's rich land flowing with milk and honey. They're using the words of the promise that was given to them. That's the language God used. Do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. Helpless prey to us. You ever had to get like a mouse or a lizard out of your house? Helpless prey to us. Woo! That's a perspective I like. They have no protection, but the Lord's with us. Don't be afraid of them. You heard the line in the song that Chad started out our time together with. His perfect love casts out fear. It's a direct quote from Scripture in 1 John. His perfect love casts out fear. Fear is the opposite of love. Fear means I have something to run from or something to prove. Love says, I have the confidence to keep moving forward. 
who he is, who you are, whose you are. Number two, Joshua was moved by God's way more than his own way, and it made all the difference. We read in Numbers 27, 18, he had a different spirit on him. And in and Deuteronomy 34, 9, that he had a spirit of wisdom on him. That's why he was able to see God's vision bigger than just what was the easy thing to see. You're going to have to do the same thing. The world does not need more negative critics who say everything they think. Can I say that again? Yeah. Or should I not? Yeah. The world does not need... Any more angry critics who say everything they think. Your mouth was designed to bring life to other people. Why? Because I know who your daddy is. You know who your daddy is. You know who your daddy is? Your daddy is the one who set all the stars in the sky. And you know how he did it? He spoke it into existence. Do you know who your daddy is? Your daddy is the one who says that you are so valuable and so important that he sends, ran- he sends any ransom necessary to come and grab you out. You know who your daddy is? Your daddy is the one who decides that you are worth the blood of a king. No higher cost. That's who your daddy is. I know who your daddy is. Joshua was moved by God's way more than his own way, and it made all the difference. Whose way is going to move you most? Because I'm telling you this, if you're always trying to get your own way, you're going to find yourself in a lot of corners real quick. Number three, Joshua was moved by the right voices to move forward. Oh my gosh. The voices you listen to most are so important. There are a lot of people that say they're experts. Did you know that, that like anybody can put up a blog and then someone can quote them and say they're an expert? It's a scary world we live in. Someone can decide they want to be an influencer, can pay a lot of money to a consulting company, can crack the algorithm on social media and develop tens of thousands of followers... And because they've talked about it five times a day in cute videos, they become an expert and an influencer. Don't you dare put the expert name tag on the wrong person. And that's just through a screen I'm talking about. Now let's talk about your circle of who you listen to. You get marriage advice, you get marriage advice from people who've been married a while and are trying to love Jesus and love you the best they can, or you get marriage advice from people who don't. Or you get financial advice from people who have walked down the road and paid the price and done it the right way. Or are you taking financial advice from people who look like they might have some time? Are you taking spiritual advice from people who love Jesus and love you more than they love themselves? Are you getting spiritual advice from people who are popular? Your voices matter to whom you listen to. That's what we read in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, we see that, that Joshua is, is being encouraged by Moses. We see it in the first chapter. We see it in the third chapter. And we see it in the first part of Joshua, that the people then in turn encourage him. And then they use these words, strong and courageous. These words strong and courageous are going to come up. I'm going to pause it right there. Number four, Joshua was moved by who God said he was. And you know what God said he was? God said he was strong and courageous. If you're looking for a key phrase that seems to pop up a lot, there are two key phrases that come up in the book of Joshua. One is to serve the Lord. That phrase comes up multiple times. The other phrase that comes up multiple times is be strong and courageous. You want to hear the interesting thing about that language? It doesn't say pray for strength and courage. It doesn't say you need to ask for more strength and courage. It doesn't say go and listen to so-and-so so you can become stronger and more courageous. What does the word say? Be strong and courageous. Which, you know what that means, my friend? It means you're already strong and courageous. You just got to be it. 
Have you ever had somebody walk up alongside you and say, you can do this? You can do this. But you have to choose to be strong and courageous. You have to choose it. Joshua had multiple people that were reminding him he just had to choose it. Started with his mentor. Mouth of God repeated it. Probably started it before his mentor even said it. And then the people say it back to him. Be strong and courageous. You know what it means to be strong and courageous? It means that you have to be firm in your beliefs and brave in moving through hard stuff. That's what it means. Be strong and courageous. You, my friend, were made to be strong and courageous. Don't let go of that. Don't think it's for someone else. There's hard stuff that's in front of you. The solution isn't to tune it out, turn it off, or avoid it. The solution is to take a deep breath and remind yourself, I am strong and courageous. Why? Because I know who your daddy is. Number four, Joshua was moved by who God said he was, strong and courageous. Over and over and over. And then even at the end of, Mo's li- of Joshua's life, steals a page from Mo's playbook and reminds them of who they are. You're strong and courageous too. Mm-mm-mm. Lord, speak to us. So how do I make a move like Joshua? Because that's the thing I'm always going to challenge you all with. So, I mean, this is interesting. It's good. But, but how do I process this? How do I put it in my own playbook? How do I, what do I do with this next? Number one, make hard decisions clarified by Jesus-centered values and priorities. Make hard decisions clarified by Jesus-centered values and priorities. Do you know what happened to Joshua in Joshua chapter 5? He's the new guy. I, I've been the new guy for a while. So I, I, I kind of sympathize. I got, some, I got some new guy stuff going on with Joshua a little bit. You know what the first thing God really asked him to do? He says, um, hey, Joshua, when you wandered the 40 years in the desert, did Moses ever mention the term circumcision to you? And Joshua says, well, there was this one time, and Moses said that you and he had an awkward beef about it because he hadn't circumcised his own sons, and you got really mad at him when he was on his way back to Egypt again to lead the people out. It's a touchy subject. We didn't talk about it much. My paraphrasing, not really in the Bible, thought I'd say that out loud for those of you to keep the confusion down. Joshua's first major act as the leader of God's people is to say that all the adult men should be circumcised. Not the message I would want to be presenting in my new leadership moment. (laughs) Ever thought about that before? And if you don't understand what circumcision is, ask your mama when you go home. She'll be happy to explain it to you. But that's a hard thing. To immediately have to take on. It's an awkward thing. But God's like, you know, we're going to start this thing right. You're either committed to me or you're not. I'm going to ask you to do hard things, things you're not going to fully understand, things you might not agree with. Being a Christian in the 21st century, come on, somebody. You ask to do hard things. You have some things that you feel one way, we're taught one way. God's word says another way. Have to take a deep breath and go, God, you must know what you're doing more than me. You're smarter than me. I am not so arrogant to think that I have more answers than you do. Whew. Easy to say, not so easy to be. Anyone else with me or is it just me? Hard decisions guided by our values and priorities. Did you know? There was an Oxford study a few years ago that talked about how the average person makes decisions. This is how people make decisions. The harder the decision is perceived by what the information they've gathered, the longer it takes them to make a decision. I want to say that again. 
the harder the, the harder the decision seems to be, like what is being asked of you, the longer it usually takes someone to make a decision. The more confusing the information is to get to that conclusion of how difficult this would be for me to do factors into how and how long you make that decision. So now let me politely turn that on its side. If the main reason you and I make most of the decisions we make is values and priorities that are aligned with Jesus Christ, how much more simple does that make our decision-making process? Because the answer is yes. Now I just have to figure out the details. Or the answer is clearly no, and I have to figure out what the details are. Do you see how that changes a decision-making process? If you are more aligned with values and priorities that are aligned with Jesus Christ, rather than figuring out preferences and weighing what this will cost you? What did Jesus say in the garden? Not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. He already had his yes. Just a matter of what it looked like. This is the big question. I want to encourage you to maybe process this with someone close to you later today. Do I merely let him inform my decisions or do I let him form my decisions and then do I conform to his decisions? See, that, 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 this is what I personally think. If I'm really going to hit us in the gut right now, as if I haven't already, this is the one that I think a lot of us do. I think we see Jesus as a really nice bearded consultant. I think we let him inform many of the decisions that we make. But I do not believe that we give him the allegiance, the devotion, the loyalty, the respect, the admiration to form our decisions. Nor do we conform our decisions to his. By the way, that's what a disciple is, by the way. A disciple is someone who conforms their life to the one whom they give authority to. That is the definition of a disciple. It's my heart for you. Because I believe your best life is a disciple of Jesus Christ instead of a disciple of anyone else. Because everyone's a disciple of someone or something. It's just a matter of what or who it is. I'm firmly convinced that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will have less regrets, more successes, and more joy than being a disciple of anyone or anything less. I firmly believe that. See, Joshua had to figure out whether or not he was going to do that or not. Because if he did, things would change. So Joshua is the one, if you've heard the one, like one of the Bible story narratives before, or like went to Sunday school once, twice when you were little, or you've read it in the Bible yourself. See, he goes through, and remember he had the 12 and one record. He had to go and take the different parts of the land. Well, the next strategic place to take was this place called Jericho. Jericho was about five miles away from where they crossed the Jordan River. And it had natural springs that came up to make it an oasis. It was a valuable piece of real estate, and it had been populated for quite a while. It was a city that had had walls around it. It was actually two different walls that were around it. There was a lady named Kathleen Kenyon who did extensive research on it in the 50s, and she was able to look at the way some of the walls were structured. We know that the the walls fell down. Looking in the archaeological record, there's the record of at least one earthquake. Um, We think that God could have used that as a means of doing so. There was a German excavation team around the early 1900s that found a spot that looked like people had been living in it and that the walls had missed completely collapsing on top of it. Ironically enough, it was facing 
the wooded area into the hills that the story says Rahab lived in, whom gave counsel and comfort to the enemy, or depending on your point of view, her new family. Could have been two earthquakes in the area in that time. There's thoughts that when the Jordan River was dammed up at the top, because there's these specific details given about how the Jordan River is dammed up and how they walk across on dry ground. It would have stopped the river up top for them to cross on dry ground. But the thing that isn't explained is how you would have crossed on dry ground. I have a theory. All it is is a theory. See, when Moses encounters God in the burning bush, which, by the way, if you've never seen the old Ten Commandments movie, worth the price of admission just that moment alone, voice of God in a burning bush, 1950s technology is awesome, okay? Um, Moses encounters God in a burning bush. Elijah encounters God. Fire comes down, eats up the offering on Mount Carmel. You have God being described as a consuming fire. I'm wondering that as if as, uh, it was said that God led them by a pillar of fire by night um, as they wandered the deserts. I wonder if part of how God operated at that time was the manifest presence of God had fire associated with it so that as the people were getting ready to cross over the water grounds on dry ground, that the heat of the presence of the Lord literally dried the ground before them as they crossed it. I think it's an interesting idea worth consideration. Earthquake stops the water, but who dries the water? I can tell you who dries the water. Some way, some shape or form. Your daddy did. Number two, um, take a chance on people. The spirit leads to you. So we see the first part of the story in Joshua 2. We see an extension of it in Joshua 6. I I, I explained a little bit of it. Uh, According to the narrative that we're given, as they take the first city, Jericho, um, um, Joshua sends in spies to check out what they're dealing with. They send, two, they send the spies. The spies find an innkeeper who has a side hustle for providing comfort to the lonely. And if you don't understand what that means, ask your mama. The woman who owned the inn was named Rahab. This is how Rahab greets the spies. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is in terror. We've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. By the way, that happened 40 years before. Just remember that. We know that you did what you did to these other guys. We know that you took out these other guys in your travels. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. What was the advice given to Joshua? Be strong and courageous. No one has the courage to fight. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and earth below. For under no other name is a man to be saved. For whoever confesses Jesus Christ as Lord shall be saved. Lord, meaning ruler over all other things. Um, so this is what she does. You know, the, the old Bible story or the version you might have heard was, oh, well, she, she hid the spies. And that's probably the, the short version of it. No, no, no. She does so much more than that. She admits out loud that their God is real and that she wants to be part of their family. 
She admits it out loud. She then hides them when people come searching for them, gives them strategic advice about what to do next, and tells them what direction to go to be safe. That's a lot more than just hiding them. So she stays in her window. She's told to put a red cord around the edge of her window to be seen by the people as they come. A couple of verses, a couple of chapters later, Joshua will come and say, hey guys, keep your promise to this lady. Keep your promise to this lady. The red cord tied outside the window, by the way, early church fathers said that they thought it was clearly tied to the blood of Jesus Christ that saves people. Could it be that we're seeing one Joshua coming that is, that is saving them underneath the blood the same way that we have another Joshua who comes who saves other people underneath the blood? It's not a coincidence. It's why the Bible is so brilliantly put together. It's because God did it. People aren't this smart, guys. By the way, Rahab? Rahab's name comes up again in the Bible. Did you know that? She is one of two mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You want to know why? Because she is the great-great-grandmother of this guy named David. David is the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus. Rahab is brought into the bloodline of Jesus Christ, which means she is part of the story of us. So if you got off to a rough start, or you've done things that you regret in your life, or you had to make hard decisions in the moment to get by and wonder whether or not God can look past it, can redeem you, can resurrect you, can reform you, can put you on a better ground, you need to remember that you have a lady in your family tree who did far worse than maybe anything you could think of. And if he can do it for her and include her in the family of Jesus Christ, he can do it with you. Don't you dare think otherwise. Don't you dare think otherwise. So Joshua encourages them to hold their promises. Number three, take steps of faith, even when it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Remember one of the other big things that Joshua had to do right off the bat is it was like, okay, so you want us to march around the city and blare horns and what? Because that's kind of what they're asked to do. That's to march around the walls. Blare their signal horns. It wasn't musical, by the way. These would have been military signal horns, what these would have been. It wouldn't have been pretty. I mean, I, I, it's, it's like, like Veggie Tales and some of these old Sunday school stuff. They do you dirty because they kind of church it up a little bit. It's like one really big wall, and it's like, you know, it's like as the saints go marching in, it's like three-part harmonies and all this. Nah, this would have been just, this would have been military model, march around that thing and then blare those signal horns. And the walls came tumbling down because God keeps his promises. Pastor Colby Ingstrom, lead pastor of Hope Chapel of Santa Rosa. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church along with a link to your church's website, to Church of the Week at SalemSF.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to Church of the Week at SalemSF.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week.